We are back on John, back in the book of John, in chapter 6. But to, it's been a few weeks. It's been over five weeks since we've been in the book of John. And when we left John, we were in chapter 5, and Pastor Jeff preached on the, the man by the pool of Bethesda. And he was wanting to get in, but every time he asked to be healed, Jesus asked him if he wanted to be healed, and he said, sure, every time I try to get in the pool, someone jumps in ahead of me. And Jesus heals him at this well, and it just so happened to be on the Sabbath. So in verses 31 through 47, Pastor Jeff covered a sermon series on three um, sources to fact-check Jesus. So he used John the Baptist, God the Father, and Moses the lawgiver. And if you remember that sermon, he, he wanted to go into the courthouse in Columbus and do a little snippet of it from the courthouse. And of course, they said no. So it's more like Jesus being on a trial. And doing this trial, of course, God being the father would be the judge. So in verses 37 through 40, 31 through 47, Jesus gives an example and he brings Moses and he shows Moses testimony and how Moses pointed to him from the wilderness. And he used God the Father to come down from the judgment seat and stand and sit in the witness chair to testify and also pointing towards Jesus. And thirdly, he used, he used John the Baptist to present it as well, himself as well, for all the current people who wasn't up on the history to show him that, look, I'm the one that they've been talking about. I'm the one that everyone through the Old Testament and parts of the New Testament at this point is pointing towards. But at the same time, the Jews did not want to hear anything Jesus had to say, and they wanted to kill him instead of obeying what he had to say. And to me, I was Jesus just to kind of make fun of it. The matter I would have pulled um, some words from this song that was written in 1972 um, by Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, who featured Teddy Pendergrass. And some of you might know the song I'm talking about. And simply say, if you don't know me by now, you will never, never, never know me. And just listen to some of the lyrics and you understand. It says, if you don't know me by now, you will never, never, never know me. Ooh. All the things that we've been through, I understand. I, I, you should understand me like I understand you. No, Jews, now Jews, I know the difference between right and wrong. I ain't going to do nothing to mess up our happy home. And then he goes back into the course, if you don't know me by now. You will never, never, never know me. And that's the same thing Jesus is trying to say to these Jews. Like, I'm giving you Moses, um, showing you God the Father, and I'm showing you John the Baptist, all these people that you are familiar with, and all of them are pointing towards me. So if you don't know me by now, you just flat out just never going to know me. And these Jews, um, they, they wanted the miracles, but they didn't want the miracle bearer. These were, this is the stubbornness of the human heart. The beginning of this chapter is one of the most familiar stories in chapter 6 that we've ever heard in the Bible. It's one that 
talks about the feeding of the 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread. It's not too many people that have never heard this, this miracle. It's so profound that it's covering all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John covers this miracle. The only other miracle that's covering all four Gospels is the resurrection. So other than the resurrection, the feeding of the 5,000 by far is the, is the only other one that stands next to it. So it's a miracle that's, that Jesus performed, and it's a miracle just in sheer number that is phenomenal. So if you're looking for something um, to be a headline for this morning, I would suggest what draws you to God? What draws you to God? Because there are so many things that, that you're going to see that these people were drawn, drawn to him for, but were not enough to make them stay. And the first point in, that I want to make with these, uh, the first part of it is to talk about the fickle crowd. We have to address the fickle crowd. So let's look at verses 1 through 5. And it reads, After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. Jesus went up the mountain, went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Here's three. I mean, I'm four and five. I need to go back. Three. Okay. I'll read four and five from what I have. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming towards him, he said to, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people may eat? So the events from chapter 6, from chapter 5 to chapter 6, it was a gap between six, to, six months to a year. And during that six months to a year, when Jesus gave this trial, had this trial, and was found guilty by them, although he was innocent, the disciples dispersed and they went out and started preaching the gospel around the area. And when we get to chapter 6, they're returning to Jesus and they're going to do an after-action review, what we call an army AAR. And Jesus picks this location, he picks this mountain to discuss the past events that they encountered during this time period. But as Jesus was getting ready to set up this meeting to talk with his disciples, the crowd started coming to him to the point that he had to stop his meeting with his disciples and go down to address this crowd of 5,000 plus people. So during that time, Jesus sit there and he is talking with them and despite this crowd there is no question that Jesus could draw a crowd by now because of his ability to to heal the sick and and raise the dead and do all these supernatural things but they were there for superficial reasons they were there because of what he what he could do for them not so much for who he was being the son of God and looking over this text this text for the past couple of weeks I can't Say I blame them, because you think about the time period that they're in. There are no doctors. There are no, no one that can heal the sick. There's no one other than a priest that they can go to for healing. And then they would tell them to do something like they told them, go jump in the Jordan River and dip yourself in it seven times, stuff like that. But Jesus was healing people in quickly and moving on to the next person. But at the same time, he was sharing the gospel. 
So they got used to him doing those things. So they just, if they were here, they would go get another family member and bring that family member and so on and so forth. So the crowds just got larger and larger, not because they wanted to hear what Jesus had to say, but because of the healing that he was performing. So they were there for the healing of their body, not really the healing of their souls. So at this juncture in John, John is the only gospel that covers, that talks about the Passover. And if you remember the Passover when the Jews were coming out of Egypt, when they had to do a, a festival and be, to eat this meal and to sacrifice the animal and put the blood over the doorposts of the doors and along the sides, covered in Exodus 12 and 2. So this crowd is a mixture of Jews coming for Passover and Jews and Gentiles coming in for healing. So you have a mixture of people, Jews, Gentiles, rich, poor, saved and unsaved, who are there. So this crowd can, and crowds can be intimidating because we know everyone in a crowd do not feel the same way or have the same beliefs. Crowds have a tendency to start out violent and can turn peaceful, or they can be peaceful and turn violent, like this crowd is going to do. To get a better understanding, I looked up crowd psychology and found this on the greenroom.net. And it says, social identity theorists argue that when in a crowd, we experience a shift from individual selves to a collective self. And our behavior in response to this shift is regulated by the social norms shared by our fellow group members. In short, we move, operate, and make decisions collectively when we're in a crowd. We lay aside our personal individual beliefs with the crowd to, just to join in. But Tony Evans um, says, says this about the popularity of the crowd. He said, if popularity drives the decision, you would choose the crowd. If faith drives the decision, you would choose the Lord. So you can come to the right conclusion by viewing the decision of the world through the lens of the word of God. And to illustrate that, if I was, if my glasses were the word, if my glasses were the Bible, and I were to put my glasses on and they reflect scripture from Genesis to Revelation. So as I'm walking through life and I'm making decisions about jobs and careers or where I want to go for eat or different things, I'm looking at them through the lens of the Bible. And the things that in the Bible that are not direct as far as where to eat, certain things, I have to pray and ask for insight. So I'm looking through the lens of, of the Bible through what I have on to make those decisions. But if I were to, these glasses represent the world, and I had these glasses on, and it represent the world, and now I'm looking at the Word of God, now the Word of God is going to shift because I'm going to misuse Scripture to fit the part of the world, part of uh, what I'm doing at that particular moment to fit what I'm in. And it's, I'm going to be using God's Word out of context. So that's basically what Jesus is trying to do, to get them to look at life through scripture, look at life through his experience and make that preparation. And once we get to that, that understanding of get to a place where we got a little bit of knowledge of God, then comes the test. So we have to be prepared for the test because at the end you, you heard him ask Philip the question, where can we go to feed these people in verse five? So let's look at what Jesus well, through John says in verses 6 through 10. 
He said, he asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a little boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that area, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. And from research, I found that the, possibly the reason why Jesus chose to ask Philip the question out of the 12 is because Philip was from the area that Jesus was about to perform this miracle. And he figured Philip from this area, he can give some insight into what was going on. But Philip, being an, an analyst of things, he used his understanding of basic math to try to figure out how to provide because that's the rational way to do things, right? You want to come up with finances. You want to count the cost, see how much it is to, to get how much money you need in order to make this purchase to feed this many people. And at the same time he was doing, Philip was doing this, Andrew was out looking for whoever was in the crowd that had food. And he came back with this little boy and in the midst of asking Philip the question and Philip saying two in an area wouldn't be enough and Andrew coming back with this little boy, he just said, hey, just, just have the people sit down. And to me, Philip could have cheated on the test and went to Ezekiel 37 and said, oh, Lord, God, you know, or all sovereign Lord, you alone know, because that's kind of what Ezekiel said when Jesus asked him, well, God asked him in the valley of dry bones, can these dry bones live? And he just said, Lord, only you know, I have no idea. He could have used that line and quickly gained some, some credit with Jesus with just cheating on the test and repeating what Ezekiel said in 37 and 3, but he didn't. So when you think about it, in order to pass, to prepare yourself for a test, you have to go over the material. And when you're going over, over the material, you're going over the material to a point that you can remember 90 to 100 percent of the material in order to prepare yourself for the test. But at the same time, from the test and taking the test, you're going to either feel a sense of accomplishment or a sense of failure because you didn't prepare properly for the test. And to me, Philip had to feel a little bad about his answer to Jesus' question and what Jesus actually does for it because really it wasn't any amount of money that he could have had that could have donated to the cause to feed this many people. And the fact that Jesus was already performing miracles, Philip knew this, that it was easier for Jesus to just create it than for him to give him the money to go purchase it. But Philip, for some reason, didn't think along those lines. And so Jesus just simply tell him to sit down. But let's go to the crowd again. When you look at the crowd of 5,000, John just says 5,000, but Anyone knows where there are men, what's in this room? They are women. Where there are men and women, where are they? They are children. So when you look at the number of 5,000, you're really looking at 20 to 25,000 people that Jesus is telling his disciples to sit, have sit down, to feed. So it's not just a small 5,000 group of people when you're really considering what Jesus is about to do. This is... There's not really, 
there's not really spectators of this miracle. The people are, I mean, they're not spectators of this miracle because they partake of the miracle. They get to eat the meal. There's no other miracle that Jesus did that involves so many people. There's, there's nothing he did that conquers this event. The only requirement Jesus asked of the people was for them to sit down. That's the only requirement he required for them in order to receive this meal. So to me, if we, we're here and we'll, we've been praying for something and asking God for something and we feel that he hasn't responded, you can ask yourself, what is the one thing that God is asking me to do that I haven't done in order to get my miracle, to get my blessing? Because it's something simple as, as like this crowd sit down or have faith or be still. Something that Jesus is going to require from us in order to receive. And that's simply all he asked from these people was for them to sit down. And in this final point is simply, are you drawn by Jesus' miracles and sent away by his words? Are you drawn by Jesus' miracles and sent away by his words? Let's look at the next five verses. And you see then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also with the, food, with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled themselves and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. Then the people saw the sign he had done. They said, this truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountains by himself. I want to go back to verse 11 and look at verse 11 closer. Look at verse 11. It said, Jesus took the loaves. So you see a transfer of the meal. Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. In the boy's hand, there were two fish and five barley loaves. Jesus takes the loaves, pray, thank God for the little. God multiplied to a number that's not counted in the text. And look who he gave them to. He told the disciples, give them to the people who are seated. Not the ones who were standing up. So in order to receive the miracle, you had to have done what Jesus asked you to do in the first place in order to get the meal. So if someone was happened to be standing up as the disciples were passing out the bread and the fish, they wouldn't have gotten fed. Somebody catch that on the way home. What I'm saying is when we're in a place where if God says go to this place and we over here because we feel he said go over here, you, you're not where he wants you to be, so you can't receive what he wants you to have because you're not where you should be. But these people obeyed what Jesus said to his disciples for them to do, and they received this meal. The only thing I can give you an example of that's, better, that's greater than that is the, if you would pick your favorite sport, basketball, baseball, golf, whatever sport that you love. And I would say, hey, let's go out and play a pickup game of football, baseball, basketball. 
ain't, nobody here is going to be interested in seeing a bunch of old guys play football or basketball. You want to watch the games that came on yesterday. More exciting, more to remember. So you take all of those games from all those sports, golf, basketball, football, college, pro, whatever, and you were to put them all together, it still don't match what Jesus is getting ready to do. Still don't compare. Because we, we can think of an old Alabama game, Auburn game, a Georgia game that we can remember that happened 20, 30 years ago. And, oh, man, that happened. But it still don't match this feeding of the 5,000, which we know now is 20 to 25,000. It don't compare because of what happened that Jesus took two fish and five body loaves and he just thanked God for the little and God increased it with much, which also teaches us if we're faithful with the little things, we're faithful on the, the, the things that we have, God will bless us with greater because we appreciate it more when we get it. But if you just tinker around with what you have that's small or insignificant, you feel is insignificant, how is God going to bless you with more when you're not appreciating what you, what you have? So this miracle that we just read about is the most extensive and highest participation level of any miracle he ever did. They were eating bread that had never been baked in the oven, ingredients that never were in the ground. They were eating fish that never had an opportunity to swim, never saw the ocean, never saw a pond, never saw a lake that Jesus just gave to them. I mean, it don't even matter. No flash, bang, no lights, anything. Jesus just thanked God and just stopped passing out baskets until... And then he didn't just pass them out. Each one got a happy meal. He passed out enough that everyone ate until they couldn't eat anymore. And to top it off, he said, disciples, go and get the leftovers. Because the custom was nothing gets wasted. So even the stuff that's dropped, you have to pick it up. So he sent each disciple out to their group to pick up the leftovers. And guess who the leftovers were for? It was 12 baskets. So he fed the disciples, what was left after everyone ate their fill. So it wasn't, it was an all you can eat. Then everything left, the disciples went out and got and brought back. This is a unique miracle because it was created, it was a created miracle. When Jesus healed someone that was blind, they had eyes, they just couldn't see. When he healed someone that was lame, they had legs, they just couldn't walk. But this, he did from just two fish and five loaves, he had to create everything else on top of that to stretch their faith. This miracle can't be debated. It can't be argued saying it didn't happen because they ate the evidence. They were there. They were a part of it. So from this crowd, these people decided after this great miracle that, look, let's just let's make him king. We can eat like this every day. We wouldn't have to listen to our government. We can, we can just let, listen to him. We can just crown him king and we got it made after that they missed the point they missed the point heroes um house of heroes has a website that will provide you the names of every medal of honor distinguished service cross navy service cross air force recipient and other badges and also they had a a, a statement on there about stolen valor and the term applies to people who falsely claimed to be in the military, embellished their rank, awards, and stuff of that nature. And 
Some people claim to be followers of Jesus without following his will for their lives. Stolen valor. We claim to do the things, we claim to do this, but once we leave service, we go back to doing things as normal. And that wasn't what Jesus was about. And as we go through this series in John, you, when you get, pay attention when Jeff gets to verse 60 through 70. Because in those 10 verses, you can see these same people that we're talking about this morning, they're going to walk away from Jesus because they don't want to hear his words. Just like the point says, they are there for the miracles, but they were chased away by his words because his words were too harsh. He was demanding to them too much for them to live. And they didn't want to follow him anymore. They loved what he could provide, yet were sent away by his words. If they did, they wouldn't want to make him king. Making him their earthly king answered their physical needs, but Jesus wanted to solve their spiritual and their physical needs, but they didn't want to hear that part. To me, Jesus sums it up in Matthew 6 and 33. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and these things will be added unto you. And you ask yourself, what are these things? But when you look at verses 1 through 32 to get to 33, Jesus talks about the, the birds of the airs. He talks about things in life that how the birds wake up and they sing and they go and they fly around. They don't worry about the meal they're going to have a day. They just know it's gonna, they're going to eat. They don't have worry in things of that nature. They just seek. They just sing. He's saying that we seek God first, everything else will just be added to you. It would be like a spiritual magnet. That stuff would just be drawn to you. Everything you need would just be pulled in just spiritually, just by seeking him first in his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. A few weeks ago, we were doing our work at the Riverview Apartments, and we do, we're still doing some things with the kids in the afternoon. And on this particular day, we were going through the seven first days of creation. And we were getting ready to give the instructions to the kids. And two girls came up, and they wanted the snacks that were on the table. And I explained to them, we had three tables set up. Kevin was at one table, I was at one table, and Pastor Jeff was at another table. And I explained to the girls, I said, look, in order to get to that table with those snacks, you got to go through the seven days of creation. And I explained, I had tables, I had day one and two. I said, look, day one, we blindfold you, we give you batteries and some flashlights. You put, the, you put the batteries in the flashlight and you turn them on blindfolded. And then you take the blindfold off and you see a light. Day two, we had a cup, empty cup, you pour water in the cup. You pour some blue dye in it and some shaving cream representing the second day of creation of the water from land, the sky, and the birds. And then Pastor Jeff had uh, two, he had three and four, and Kevin had five, six, and seven. And I said, you can get those snacks, but you have to participate in what we have going on. And I said, y'all think about it. Y'all welcome to be a part of it. And I walked away. And when I got to Kevin, he was giving instructions, and I looked back, and they walked off. Because they wanted what we provided. They wanted the snacks we brought. But they didn't want to hear about Jesus. And I would tell the kids every week, I said, look, if y'all participate, Y'all listen, we're going to give y'all something, some physical food to eat, but we're also going to give you something spiritual so you ain't leaving here the same way you came. And some people in your life that you talk to about Christ, 
don't want to hear what you're saying. I would tell you don't stop being who you are. Keep spreading it. Somebody's going to hear it. Somebody's going to thank you for it. But don't not tell someone about Jesus. If you undercover, you're not living how God would have for you to be on your job. I, I was infantry 23 years. And being a Christian is not the popular thing in the infantry field. With everything going on, it was many days I ate by myself. But I was like, oh, well, I wasn't going to conform to the things that were going on around me. I was going to stay true to who Christ would have me to be. And then over time, some people started coming in onesies and twosies. And it was a situation where I just wasn't like because I wasn't, I wasn't going to do what everyone else was doing. But that's a decision all of us make on a day-to-day basis. Because this is not a, a once-a-week Sunday thing that, that we do, and then we go and we go back into life and go into darkness, and then we show up Sunday and we in light. This is a seven-day-a-week, 24-hour, 365-day event. You get no time off. And you just trust God through the whole process, and everything will work out amazingly. In some cases, you won't even be able to explain it. And our next steps are simple. Today I, need, today I need more than physical food. I need spiritual food as well. Because if you're famished, it's going to be hard for you to kind of comprehend and hear what's going on. So you need that food to get you mentally prepared to learn what they're one and the same. They go together. The second one is seek the spiritual as, as you deal with the physical dilemmas of life. Because we all face challenges in our day-to-day activities that we need insight and just, just pray constantly and ask God for answers as we maneuver through it. And then this one, I will say commit to. I will place my faith in the things, God, of, things of God over the popularity of the crowd because we all going to be pulled different directions, whether it's going to be politics, relationships, job decisions, a lot of things that we're going to have to look at what God says about a matter before we speak on it. And if it's not in there, ask God for insight and ask him to speak to you in what to say and what to do in that challenge. Amen. So I'm going to close with a prayer and ask that something was said in your hearing that find a soft place upon your heart, that it doesn't just stay there that is in your heart, that it will come out in some way, shape, form, or fashion by you regurgitating to someone else, you sharing it with someone else, just meditating on God's word. Because this feeding of 5,000 is, it's like, man, when Jeff told me about this, I'm like, like Jeff, everybody knows the feeding of 5,000. How can I do this? And just by the help of the Holy Spirit, um, was able to accomplish it. And just thank God. So, Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. And thank you for Jesus for coming. For being obedient to your Father and coming and and dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you for speaking a gospel we believe and need to rescue us from hell. We thank the Holy Spirit for giving us the record of things to guide us that our presence with the Savior will be right. We want to be the ones who walk by faith, don't walk away, and not sent away by your words. Enrich our lives and confirm your truth in our hearts. Lord, send us from here with a joyful hearts, 
stronger faith and food for our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.